When he found out I was pregnant, he just fired me on the spot. We try to fit everyone into a few small molds, and a lot of people just don't fit. When I first got sent to the convent, I saw these great long halls, and I said, oh, and I did cartwheels all the way up. And the nun looked at my mother and said, where does she come from, a circus? Welcome to Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench. I'm your host for these open and honest and sometimes so funny chats about everything surrounding life with and for seniors with the bench a very real symbol at Schlegel Village's retirement and long-term care residences of inclusion, of discussion, and of gathering safely in a place of kindness and information. I'm your host, Erin Davis, joined by my co-host, Lloyd Hetherington, who at 86 is probably one of the world's more senior podcast hosts and is tickled not just pink, but red today to be here with our guest. Why? Well, our friend Steve Smith is joining the bench, which just for today we'll sometimes call the Red-Green Bench, because Red-Green is the character for whom he's best known during his 15 years on CBC and then PBS. Steve is 75 now and lives with his wife of over 50 years. He's got a fascinating career that goes beyond the wise and funny Red-Green. Wait till you hear what he actually invented. And we're so happy to have him here with us today. Well, Lloyd, before we get to our guests today, I just want to check in with you and see how you're doing. How's life treating you? Life has been good. And it's going to be even better when we talk to our guest today. Amen. I'm just so excited about that. All right, then let's bring him in. Everybody knows him, of course, as Red Green. But in real life, if there is such a thing these days, he is Steve Smith. And we're so pleased to have you joining us here on the Green Bench today. Steve, thanks for making the time. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Aaron, uh, Lloyd, looking forward to it. Thank you. So, what you been up to? Let's go back to, oh, I don't know. When did the Red Green Show stop airing new episodes? Because it's been in syndication and reruns now forever. You know that this is going to outlast all of us. But uh, tell us a bit of the timeline of your career, would you please, Steve? And please forgive me. I'm going to call you Red sometime during this interview, and I think Lloyd might too. So we'll put a, we'll put a dollar in the jar. <laughs> like a swear jar. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a blurry line anyway. Yeah. So walk us through what you've been up to. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, the, when, when I got to the end of the 13th season of Red Green, um, we, we would always meet with the CBC, the program director there, a guy named Slocko Klimkew. I always said he was uh, conceived during a game of Scrabble. <laughs> I, I said to him, <laughs> so we would always talk to him and see if he wanted to renew the show for a year. And I, I said to him at that meeting, I said, you know, I know you can do whatever you, you want. You know, you're you're the boss, but here's what I'd like. I said, in, in, if I could do two more seasons, two more years of Red Green, that would be 15 seasons, 300 episodes. And about a month later, I would turn 60. And I, I said, like, I know an exit ramp when I see one. So classy guy, he, what he says we're going to write up that as a contract. So I got a two-year contract. I mean, that, that was unheard of, you know, to get that kind of commitment from a broadcaster. And what that allowed me to do was 
to tell all the people in the cast and all the crew, this is, you got two years notice. We're going to do this for two more years and then we're not going to do it anymore. And then I thought that would be the end of the end, you know, I mean, just, it was a great ride. And I was, I was afraid of what happened to me was, uh, when I got to like season 14, ideas that I had rejected in season three started to look good to me. So, you know, <laughs> I thought maybe it's time to hang it up, you know? Yep. So you got this contract extension from a network that is kind of renowned for letting shows just disappear at the height of their popularity, looking at Rita McNeil as I say that. So really, that must have been a true boost in the arm that you were going to be able to go out and to end on your terms and maybe wrap up some storylines. Or did you want to keep it open in case there was some kind of a red-green reunion? Because, you know, the whole Friends on HBO Max thing is huge. What about a red-green reunion show? I'm sure you could ask this all the time. Yeah, you know, that's just... There's a long list of things that will never happen, and it's near the top. Ah, uh, oh. It's just like... First of all, I have a basic problem with with moving backwards. Mm. Uh, I've never in my life gone back and uh -huh. done something that I did earlier. You know, we'll get to this eventually, I guess. But when I, you know, got got off the golf course and went back into performing and and did four uh, North American tours, um, it wasn't that I had done stand up when I was twenty one. I've never done it in my life, so it was a fresh new thing, and that's always what I gravitate towards. So. The idea of doing a reunion show and trying to recapture some version of what was good yeah. 10 or 15 years ago has no interest to me whatsoever. Oh, I love your philosophy, Steve. Always forward-looking, the past behind you, a marvelous run, but you're looking forward to new and exciting things. That's the spirit. It keeps life alive when you say, I will look for new creations, new activities rather than getting buried in the debris of the past. Well, thanks, Lloyd. I, you know, for me, when I like say I'm, I would never do a reunion show, it for me, in my mind, it adds value to the, to the time we did spend together, to the things we did. Mm -hmm. if, you don't, if you stop them when they're still great, you remember them forever as being great. You don't let them, you know, don't let them go too far. Right. Mm. Uh, you're, it's a wise move, Steve. Many a person lingers long past their best date, and uh, what they end up with is a product that's not good. But you were wise enough to know when the best date had arrived, and you left it at that. Yeah, there was a there's a website called Jump the Shark, and <laughs> what they do is they identify they identify television programs that went a season or two too long, or uh, a movie sequel that shouldn't have happened. And uh, uh -huh. they did say in there that the Red Green Show is is one that will never jump the shark, and and I I took that to heart. Right. That's high praise because, of course, the name of the website refers to the episode of Happy Days where they knew that Henry Winkler, the Fonz, knew how to water ski. So Gary Marshall decided he was going to use Henry's knowledge of how to water ski and turn it into this whole thing where he was going to actually literally jump a shark because this was kind of the Jaws heyday, too. So it's always been held up as the sign of here's what not to do. So well done you <laughs> for never having jumped the shark. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so you. let's talk about that off lane you talked about. The off lane definitely did not go to a kiss and ride parking lot. Although you know what you do in your spare time with Morag is just fine. But what I'm <laughs> what I'm talking about is you didn't just sit. In fact, you mentioned you went on four North American tours. Was this concurrent with your TV show, or how was the timing of this this 
blossoming into a stand-up comic at this point in your career, which, as you pointed out, so many artists do in their 20s, like, let's say, Jerry Seinfeld, and then that sort of segues into another career, hopefully. You did it the opposite way. Tell us about that and the decision. My whole career has been backwards, really, when you look at it. And to get from uh, walking away from the TV show to the tours, there was a bit of a journey there. First of all, I immediately went to Florida, uh, and it, during that winter, I was down there 180 days. I played 162 rounds of golf. Okay? Whoa. So what I did was I I didn't get oh, any good either. Geez. I just played a lot, you know. And, well, you um, could have been president, but that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just... You had the time. Uh, yeah, I had the time, and I needed something to do, so that's what I decided to do. And and then I, I was... Uh, you know, spending my creative energy, you know, sort of annoying my friends. Like I'd say funny things, and but maybe too many funny things. And then I was playing golf one day with the the Canadian chairman of uh, Random House, and he said to me, "You know, if you wanted to write a book as Red Green, uh, we would publish anything you wanted to write." Hmm. So wow. I thought, well, I thought, first of all, it was a compliment. You know, I was flattered. And I also realized if I said no, he was never going to ask me again. Mm-hmm. So I, I decided to write a book. So I wrote a book called How to Do Everything as Red Green, and it was very successful. And then I had to do book tours, you know, where you go out to Saskatchewan and, you know, to sell nine books, you know. Yep. I said to them, I'll buy 10 books not to go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So what happened was I decided, well, if I got to go around to promote a book, why don't I put a one-man show together, make it a performance, do, make, have more reason to go than just to do a book signing. And uh, so I, I did that, and then I, I'd i been on PBS at that point for probably 10 years, and I really felt I owed them a lot because uh, they exposed me to that. Our, our American fan base is so much larger than our, our Canadian one. And that, I mean, they're not better. I would never be here without the Canadian fans, but they're just, just the numbers were there. And I wanted to give them a little thank you. So I did a, I think a 35 or 40 night tour in the U.S. and I gave all the money to PBS. Wow. And that was kind of my thank you to them. And wow. also that first night it was in uh, Minneapolis, I think was where I started. And I walked out on that stage and I was five minutes in as like, this is what I want to do. This is mm. this is the greatest entertainment experience of my life. Today you got you can watch TV on anything. You can watch it on your phone. I'm sure in five years you'll be able to watch it on your thumbnail. <laughs> so there's no yeah. limit to that. But live performance, you're either in the room or you're not. And that goes right back thousands of years ago when people would tell stories around a campfire. There's just something about that. You're talking directly to the end user. There's no advertiser. There's no sponsor. There's no hidden agenda. I, I just loved it. Demographically, was there anything Canadian that you had to drop from your act when you were in the U.S. because it just didn't translate? Well, you know, the the, the easy answer is no. I mean, I, I can't really remember it. Um, I mean, I, I've been from uh, Tampa to Fairbanks, and I just keep meeting the same guy, to be honest with you. you know, <laughs> he's is, uh, you. That's the thing. He's me. Yeah. He's yeah. me. And they all say to me, they have a red green in their family. And if you don't have a red green in your family, it's probably you, you know? Right, right. So, uh-huh. Right on. There's something, there's something basic about it. I, 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 when I was doing the tours, I would always have a meet and greet, you know, afterwards. And the, the comments I would get, you know, I had a, a guy say to me, the, he was in his 20s, and he said, you, you make me look forward to getting old, <laughs> which I thought was pretty oh. neat. <laughs> huh. 
Christie, all of us at some time or other begin to realize that the years are marching by, time is fleeting, and we wonder, is there some advice you can give us as we face this aging process? Uh, well, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal it, but uh, at least I'll, I'll uh, name who I'm stealing it from. Um, it was actually a, an article I read in a magazine, I guess, and it was uh, Toby Keith. And he was talking about uh, he had been in a movie with uh, Clint Eastwood. Clint at this point was almost 90, he's probably 89 years old. And, and, and uh, Toby Keith asked him, how do you keep doing it? How do you keep like, doing all these projects and being so active and everything? And Clint Eastwood said, every morning I wake up and make the decision not to let the old man in. And man, that just stuck with me. And that's what I'm trying to do now. I get up in the morning and I'm not going to let the old man in. Also good advice if you're married to one and don't want him home. But anyway. <laughs> Steve, I can vote for your popularity in the States. I was at seminary in St. Paul's, Minnesota, and a couple of the most dignified professors, real academics, would stop everything to listen to your show. There was no way anything, no <laughs> academic programs, nothing would come, come in their way. They just, they just loved it. Yeah, that, that's so nice, Lloyd. Thanks for saying that. I, I, I do have that. I, I, it's amazing how people that you don't expect, uh, it, it hits, it hits a chord with them for some reason. I remember uh -huh. reading. I think they like the self-sufficiency of it. If I had to really analyze the, you know, red doesn't really need the outside world all that much. I think that roll of duct tape is something else. All of us have a duct tape in our toolbox somewhere. And your creativity with it is fantastic. I, I love the time you were trying to get the wood stove up on the second floor of Possum Lodge and you used some skis and those and an extension ladder. And it, it was just hilarious how you put it together and all with a roll of duct tape. You got a good memory, Lloyd. When we made our own forklift. That's right. I remember that. I had a lot yeah. of fun. And I think the, the duct tape thing came along because uh, most guys would rather, you know, f fix something just well enough and spend 10 minutes on it every mm -hmm. Saturday, having to fix it every Saturday, mm -hmm. than to devote one complete Saturday and do it properly. And oh. you know, you never want a repair job to outlive you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Fixing it with duct tape is a glimpse of immortality. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, I love some of your quotes as well. Your most famous one, if the women don't find me handsome, at least they'll find me handy. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be on your tombstone, Steve. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Thank you, Lloyd. Early on, I had a promo, you know, on, on TV, and it ended with saying, when you've already wasted most of your life, what's another half hour? <laughs> I love it. I love that. That's perfect. But, Steve, <laughs> let me assure you that yeah. it's not a half hour wasted with you, because laughter is good medicine, and we, we need all we can get of it. So it's time spent well sitting in your presence, listening to well, some of you. your skits, some of your quotes. Well, thank you. I actually, uh, on my last tour, I, I had a woman come up to me afterwards, and she, she had brought her, uh, her father to the show, and, and her mother had passed away four or five months ago, and she said her dad, he didn't go out, he would never smile, he just stayed to himself, but he was, a, he was a fan of the Red Green Show, so she got him to come out. She said he just laughed for 90 minutes, and she's thanking me for doing that, you know, for her. Oh, it's great. It is wonderful. And, you know, when Lloyd is talking about the 
benefits to health of laughter, there's actual empirical data like the psychosomatic medicine. Norwegian researchers published this that found that women who have a great sense of humor live longer and men are better protected from infection. So where were you when COVID started, Steve? Thanks a lot. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. I wasn't laughing. I'll tell oh, you. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh. who was? Yeah, and and there's a link to laughter and healthy blood vessels. So we are increasing blood flow as we speak here today with you here on the green bench. The red green (laughs) bench, we're calling it today, by the way. Yeah. I always think if if you can laugh, then you still have hope. You know, when you're out of laughter, you're out of hope. So I think they're connected. Absolutely. So if you had to, would you rather be handy or humorous? Which one, Mr. Steve Smith? Oh, my goodness. Humor has saved my life. When I, I know you think I'm a giant, but I'm really not that. I'm not all that tall, and I've never been taller. So uh, <laughs> as a kid, uh, and I, I was born on Christmas Eve. So, so right away, I'm younger than all the other kids. Like when I started kindergarten, I was four because I was going to turn five before the end of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Then I skipped on top of that, skipped the grade. Aww. So when I went to high school, I was 12. And I was, I'd be surprised if I was five feet tall. And beside the locker beside me, there was a guy, and he w- he was fifteen. He was a man, mm-hmm. and he was in he was in my class. He was another student, and he turned to me on the first day, and he said, "You know, if I wanted to, I could kill you." And you know, I had no reason to question that. <laughs> so I I spent the whole year making sure he didn't want to kill uh-huh. me, and I did that by making him laugh, and and that became a pattern. I've used my sense of humor to soften people up to make a meeting go the way I wanted it to go. It's, it's been a great asset. It is an incredible tool, and it's been used for everything, including to get someone that we know on this show awarded the Order of Canada in 2006. Tell us, Steve, what that felt like. It must have been a little surreal. Tell us how that whole thing came to be. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, when I found out I was getting it, I thought it meant every Canadian was getting one. <laughs> Uh, and then <laughs> I, I was, I think I was in Florida at the time. I came back up and I, I took my mother, my mother, God bless her. She's, she's 98 today. And at that time she was, you know, 15 oh. years younger than 83 or something. And she is, she, her meeting the governor general. Oh my goodness. You know, for, for that day, I was her favorite and it was worth it. <laughs> it's, oh. it's an awesome honor. And do you wear the pin? I do when I have to, you know, when I, I'm usually I'm under a car, so that no one cares at that point. Huh. But if I'm going to a government thing, and they have these deals. I have to. I wear my pin. Yeah, nice. I'm, I'm proud of it. Nobody in my family's got one. Yeah. Well, there you go. And under oh. a car in a good way, we should say too, because you have an interest in fixing up old cars. That wasn't just kind of a shtick for the show. You know your way around. Yeah, you know, when I was a teenager. You know, you could open the hood and and recognize stuff. You know, you could say, well, uh-huh. that's a generator, that's a starter, that's a distributor. You know, uh-huh. you know, you open the hood these days. It's like the first time you saw a picture of a naked woman. You know, you you don't uh-huh. see anything you recognize, and uh-huh. you don't have a clue how to get it started. Uh, you probably have some very precious memories of some of those early cars of yours. Oh, Lloyd, you had to keep it clean there, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> yeah, I got lots of memories of cars, and I've got a few old cars now that I, yeah. I, I just, in, in Florida, I just, uh, I have a 29 Oldsmobile, a 35 Chrysler, and a 47 Lincoln, and those are the car, those are the only cars I've got that, so if I want to go somewhere, I got, 
I got to get one of them going, or I don't, or I stay home. Holy! Oh, wow! They are your everyday transportation, <laughs> then. Yes, sir. You probably get lots of stares when you pull into the parking lot. Oh yeah, people people love it. You know, it's a, even a young young people who don't even they weren't even around when those cars were around. They just think it's neat that somebody's oh. keeping that thing going. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, how do you get around the fuel thing though? Like, where do you get the gas? Well, as a matter of fact, there is a place that sells leaded fuel in Florida, but I don't use it. I just use I just use the regular gas. You know, it just means you have to clean the plugs a little more often. But they they run okay. And I'm talking, you know, 500 miles a year on these things. I don't I don't uh, you know I'm not going to California or anything. Well, speaking of plugs, and that was probably one of the clunkier segues, but let's go for it anyway. Tell us about your Possum Lodge podcast. See oh, what I did was there? Really good, man. They told me you were good. <laughs> oh well, yeah. they they lied, but I appreciate She's it. She's a natural, isn't she? <laughs> so yeah, the podcast, Steve. Now, how did this all come to be, and what made you decide? Okay, this. Yeah, well, I you know I I, I decided not to tour anymore. I, I did four tours, and the last one I called it. This could be it. You know, and I, my plan was that if it wasn't going to be the last one, the, de- the next one would be called This Is Definitely It. And if it probably won after that would have been the, this, that one should have been it. But anyway, what I did was. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be I told you that was it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so uh, I started the This Could Be It tour. And after the first few nights, it became clear that people were using this as an opportunity to come up and tell them how much. I'd meant to them, and it was just it was it just was a perfect goodbye. So it wasn't an au revoir. Uh, so I decided, okay, this is definitely it. And it was 2019. Can you imagine if I had made it 2020? It would have been a disaster. So I'm very very. Mm-hmm. That's I was going to say for, to all your listeners that if I have one piece of advice, it's be lucky. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. the, uh-huh. when I finished the tour. Uh, I knew I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I needed something. I need something like like Lloyd was saying earlier. I need something ahead of me. I don't want to go looking backwards. And I didn't want to write any more books. I wrote eight books, did a feature film, all those TV shows, and the touring. I'm done. What's next? Well, when I was a kid, all of the all of the programs were on the radio, not on television. And uh, and and it would be like variety shows, um, mysteries, comedy. Drama, everything mm-hmm. on the radio. I would lie in my bed. I made a crystal radio, and I hooked the my brother and I had bunk beds, so his springs were over my head. So I would clip onto that as my aerial, and lie awake and and listen to oh. the Jack Benny show or 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 Burns and Allen or or Our Miss Brooks, and I could picture every scene and every character. And I remember uh, years later, like a few years later, Our Miss Brooks came on the air, and it was like. I'm thinking that's not what that person looks like, and those sets are hokey. They're, the ones I had in my mind were were yeah. way. And I I honestly believe that the experience of listening to stories and comedy and whatever on the radio forced me to develop my imagination, which then gave me a career. And I I see the kids today. I don't want to be like an old guy talking about the kids today, but you know, if the graphics on the video game aren't good enough, they get bored with it. You know. Like to me, I want yeah. uh-huh. if I was going to do a podcast, I you can call it a podcast if you want, but I want to do a radio show. I want to do a where where scenes are going on. Like our, in ours, like I do handy handyman corner stuff. On the first one, I I, I uh, turned the bathtub into a hot tub by using a K car to heat the water. So, <laughs> yeah, and I have a remote starter. So when it starts to get cool, I start at the car, and it, 
the all the stuff runs through, right? Uh-huh. But a, a car engine runs at 150 degrees. That's a that's a little warm for a hot tub. So you just you just shut her down, you know, and then turn it back. And I said, I said at the end of it, I, I sure hope Bernice likes a man who smells like antifreeze. <laughs> Gee, so so this this podcast then you, it's a scripted half hour, yeah. but you've you've brought back a lot of the favorite characters. Now you hear from you, of course, and Harold and Winston and Dalton and Ranger Gord and stuff. So are these yeah, the yeah. same actors? Like, would we hear Patrick McKenna and stuff as your nephew? Oh, and oh yeah, who's in it? Uh, well, those. Those guys are all the same. Peter Callahan, Bob Bainborough, Jeff Lumby. I mean, J- Jeff Lumby does a, a mm-hmm. and he he lives in France, so <laughs> that makes it a little tricky. Wow. Yeah. But we've got some great character actors. We had a, a there's a woman named Kathy Greenwood. You may know her, Aaron, but she is so talented. Sure. I don't know if you know her or not, but she does a lot of voice work and anime. Anyway, we we wanted to have a character, a 13 year old boy who's just kind of jaded and bored with every adult and everything. And I didn't really want to use a 13-year-old boy because if it was successful, next year he'd be 14 and he'd, he he wouldn't sound 13 anymore. Meanwhile, Kathy, who's you know, a middle-aged lady, she always sounds like a 13-year-old boy. So Perfect. She's just, she's just so good, so good. So anyway, yeah, the, we've got four, four or five voice actors and some of them do several voices. We've got about 17 or 18 characters in the show. It's totally scripted, top to bottom, totally 100% scripted. And are you doing all of the writing? I am. I am. I've written wow. uh, like a hun- I've written 100 150 scenes for the, for this one that we're in production for now. Yeah. Wow. Where do you get your inspiration, Steve? I know that there are some tips on waking up with a positive attitude, like starting your day being thankful, having something to look forward to, doing what you do, which is focusing on the present and not yesterday or tomorrow, and of course, learning from mistakes. But where do you get your inspiration? What keeps you writing? I'm I'm basically, my my default position is optimism, I guess. You know, I have this thing, I I have this uh, thing I developed, which is... uh, there are four things you have to think about when you're going to decide to do something with your life. So these, these are this is my career advice, Aaron. Okay, I need this. Come on, Lloyd, listen up. You never know when we're going to need it. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm thinking of that right now. Pieces of career advice from Steve Smith. Okay. Number one, whatever you do has to be mostly enjoyable. Not mm-hmm. totally enjoyable. There's nothing. Uh-huh. Nothing is totally enjoyable. But it has to be mostly enjoyable. That's number one. Number two, it has to be a worthy challenge boredom is your enemy it's got to be something that that's not easy for you uh-huh. okay number three you have to have a reasonable expectation of success mm-hmm. okay so that kind of fights number two a little bit okay and number four this is this is the most important one and the most difficult it has to be good for people not just you so there you go. That's it. Right on. And that's what I've been doing. And, uh, you know, through my, you know, making people laugh and everything. And I know that it, I know it helps them through a tough day. And so I feel like what I'm doing is good for people. It's certainly challenging. I do have an expectation of success. And it's mostly enjoyable. Like I'm probably a high 90 percentage uh, of having an enjoyable career. It's so important to have some pleasure and fun in what, what you're doing. But I love that last point, thinking of others. We live in a world right now where we're so self-centered. It's, uh, it's, it doesn't, I don't feel good. It doesn't entertain me. It's me, me, me all the time. And if people would switch their focus outwardly, they would be amazed how 
they will help others, but in helping others, the blessings and the good things come back to them. You know, amen, amen, Lloyd. That's exactly, that's exactly it. And for me, it's, uh, it's why I look forward to whatever I'm going to do next, you know, because I, I feel like I am helping other people. It's not just, not just totally about me, but my experience has been, I've never been able to help other people without helping myself. It's been a huge disappointment. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it is, it is karmic and, and the altruism comes back and it's a wonderful thing, but we cannot let you go uh-huh. without asking you about a project you're involved in that actually does sound like something from the Red Green Show, but you'll <laughs> assure us it's legit. It's Canada Goose Control, a goose repellent laser. Now, yeah. anytime you mention laser, you have to put your pinky to your mouth and say it like Mike Myers, a laser. Yeah. <laughs> but tell me, come on, Steve. Okay, tell us what this is all about, will you? Oh, my goodness, yes. Well, um, three years ago, well, first of all, I have a boat in, in, the, in the harbor here, and I've been there for 25 years. And Canada geese, they're lovely, they're beautiful birds and everything, but they need to be in their area. They need to not be in my area, and my area being on the dock where my boat is. So these these lovely birds would sleep on the dock every night and leave their droppings everywhere. It's a horrible mess, and, it, and there's bacteria and parasites, all kinds of bad things. In. And they've tried everything. They, they have a guy under contract, and he shoots guns in the air, and he has dogs, and he flashes lights and makes bird sounds. Anyway, I did some research, and I found out that the University of British Columbia did a study, and they, and they found that laser beams are a deterrent to geese. It, it doesn't hurt the geese. These are low-powered lasers, under 5 milliwatts. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't hurt the geese, but they see it as a predator. So uh, I started working on that, and I got six other guys that have boats there, and we, we formed a group called Oper- Operation Albatross, and we would take turns, only at night, like <laughs> starting like at midnight, and then you go at 2, and you go at 4 in the morning. So you had to set, keep setting the alarm every two hours and get up, walk the dock with this handheld laser, and if you see geese on the dock, you just kind of point it at them, and they take off. And, and they, we had a log book. You had to write in what you saw when. Anyway, fast forward. It was very, very effective. And then we decided, well, okay, we need to somehow mechanize this and make it high-tech and everything. And one of the guys is an engineer who owns a 3D printing company, so he and I took it from there. So now it's called the GC1 Goose Control, and if you go to gc1goosecontrol.com, it's all laid out, and uh, we sold about 30 of them as prototypes, and, and we have four distributors now taking them on. So our big our biggest fear is that uh, it's going to take off, and, and we're not going to be able to supply the demand. So anyway, nice problem. Jeez, again Lord. with the new beginnings, hey, Lloyd, just like Steve was talking about. Yeah, <laughs> he saw a problem, but the problem was really an opportunity in waiting, and we need we need more of that vision so that when we see the challenges of life, we might never see them as the problems, but as the opportunities. Absolutely I, right. I commend you, Steve, for being so creative. Well, thanks. I, you know, I, when something breaks, it's like, I, I like that because I'm, I feel like I can fix it. I, I'll figure it out and I'll fix it. Well, imagine a guy who was famous for his prowess with duct tape, and it does have a T on the end, although now there is a duct tape out there, quack, quack. So that's a losing battle. And now with lasers. So just keep going, keep growing, Steve. We love everything that you put out there because it's good for you, but it's even better for us. I'm just waiting 
to get my duct tape out to wrap up this show. And then we'll do that after we say a thank you for being such a marvelous guest. It's been exciting. So much of Worthwhile has been shared. Red, it's been great. And uh, I see you in that character right now. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Hey, thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Oh, gosh, that was so much fun. Thank you, Steve Smith. I can't remember the last time Lloyd and I laughed so much. And we're looking forward to our next chat with Brendan Rossiter. He's a Schlegel Villages and long-term care resident who has plenty of stories to tell and an Irish lilt that will brighten your day. So you could say we're moving from red-green to just straight-up green. Please subscribe for additional episodes every two weeks, and you'll be notified as soon as they're up. And share your thoughts and opinions on social media using hashtag Elder Wisdom to help everybody find us on this green bench. Just take a moment and rate and review the Elder Wisdom podcast. If it's easier, go to elderwisdom.ca to find the link. And while you're there, be sure to sign the Elder Wisdom Pledge. On behalf of Lloyd Hetherington, I'm Erin Davis. We thank you for sharing in these life stories, and we'll talk to you again soon, because your seat on the green bench is ready and waiting. Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care, offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.